and welcome everybody to a new episode of the Advanced Real Estate Talk. It's Aurelia. I have a course linked towards it in the show notes. I'm also creating a mastermind, a, a community of real estate investors. And um, yeah, I'm here with Glenn and Darcy, DarcyWet.ca. If you want to hear more of Darcy's thoughts about real estate, and then Glenn, GlennSutherland.com. Glenn has a course about how to flip houses in the US and a mastermind. And today is the second part of our conversation around um, houses and multifamily. So today we will be discussing why multifamily investing rather than single family investing. And I'm I'm happy to get us started. I put some thoughts together. Sure. Um, it's the best known way to scale, you know, going from single family homes to multifamily. Uh, for example, um, there is this famous podcast in the US called the best ever podcast. Um, and it's founder coaches with a Canadian, his coach is um, uh, Trevor McGregor and uh, and one of the first things he got him to do was start a podcast and, and then to scale. He had started with a few houses in Texas and then uh, scaled into multifamily and now he has uh, Ashcroft, a big, uh, a big um, multifamily and syndication fund. Uh, and and um, so that's one way to scale. You have more units under more units under one roof with uh, one heating system if it's central air and as opposed to uh, so because of that you have some economies of scale um, in terms of capital expenditure uh, a, a roof uh, won't uh, may not uh, as opposed to houses kill your cash flow for a year uh, if you're if you are buy and hold investor for with houses and um I know for myself, I'm buying someone's portfolio and, and the more, the, the larger properties are the last ones he wants to get rid of because uh, uh, he, he has systems in place. And for example, when you have a, a tenant, uh, you can have a tenant and, and for management, if you want to manage those properties on your own, my larger properties, you know, I can find a, a superintendent among my tenants, somebody more, uh, a bit more uh, responsible than the others that can do the showings and uh, help with some, um, take the calls. And uh, so, but there is more to, uh, like we said, there is less, um, a lesser pool of buyers for multifamily and there is a lot more involved. It's way more sophisticated. Um, I know for myself, so multifamily, like we defined in the other episode for bank lending, it's five units and more, and it takes typically longer to uh, underwrite, to close, to do your due diligence. And there is more, there are more things to look at. And, and typically um, the comes, it's not, um, you, you compare the NOI, the net operating income is key. That's how you calculate the cap rate. And those metrics um, are more used in commercial real estate. So you have the net operating income in the building, which is the gross revenue minus all the expenses, gives you the net operating income. And depending on the asset class and the area you invest in, uh, there will be a different uh, cap rate. And using cap rate and, and net operating income, you typically figure out um, the value of the pr property, the purchase price. So these are some some of the um, technicalities around multifamily. Yeah. So there's a you you, meant, you touched on scale, and there's a lot of scale. Um, that you can do just by having these buildings, right? So 
Um, you talked about underwriting being longer. Yes, it is longer. But if you were going to buy, uh, a, say, a one unit or a single family home versus a 200 unit building, it's not going to take you 200 times the That's amount not, of no. time. No. no. So um, the there's economies of scale in your underwriting. There's economies of scale in just running the business. Like you're going to have, you know, 200 doors that are the exact same. You're going to have 200 faucets that are the exact same. You're going to have, you know, it's going to go through like this. It's going to be the same square footage or close and all these, it's going to be able, you can buy spare parts and have a, this already. Whereas when you do a single family home, you're going to have to go see what is currently in this house. What do we have to be able to do this? Um, you're going to buy a, uh, an apartment building and it might have a boiler that can service the whole thing instead of having like 200 hot water heaters, right? Like in a lot of cases, you can have something at more scale to uh, to, to make sense for all this, right? Um, yeah, it, 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 there's a lot of things. You, there's a scale with your investors. There's the ability to take on more investors, right? Um, one of the, honestly, one of the biggest problems with my business is that I have a lot of people who want to invest with me and I can't do enough projects. I can't physically handle the renovations on, you know, more than 25 projects at a time or my mind is going to blow up. Um, whereas if you were just going to go buy, you know, a 50 unit building, you might be able to pool a whole bunch of these investors together and the management is a lot less. You're, 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 you're scaling your own time. You're going to talk to like one or two contractors to do this. You're going to be talking to one property manager instead of a whole bunch of them, right? Just everything works in scale. Um, so it, it it will scale your time. It'll give you more free time instead of having 200 single family homes, having two, a 200 unit building will give you, will it will require less of your time. Um, yeah. All these, because you're gonna have so many different weird problems with all these things, right? Um, a lot of times because you're coming to a property manager and saying, hey, I have a large building. Um, you can usually get the property management fees negotiated. They're usually much cheaper uh, as a percentage than uh, than what you're paying for uh, you know a single family home, right? Because it involves yeah. less work, right? Because it's more scale. Yeah. It could typically, be what well, typically four and a half to five percent for management fees. So four and a half percent on a thousand dollar a month rent house is yeah. forty five bucks. Whereas I'm usually paying eight to ten on a single. Oh, yeah. Oh, but if you have forty thousand dollars in monthly rents on a fifty unit apartment building, you're about two grand. You could actually reasonably pay someone or yourself some of that money where they actually get some performance out of it. Yeah, it's a big difference of scale. Yeah. The other thing that's kind of, um, I think, surprises a lot of people is the more, especially in the States, the more money you're asking for from a lender, the easier it is to get the loan. Um, if you're asking for a smaller amount, if you're trying to get into a small multifamily, it's harder to get the money than a large multifamily. There's less people that are interested in backing that up. Um, you can fall into that sweet spot, which is where the REITs and all the trusts and all everybody isn't really interested because it's it's too small for them and it's too big for all the little guys. Um, mm -hmm. But the same thing, it's gonna be the, the same issues. You're gonna have a lot fewer lenders that are willing to take that on, right? And that's typically usually around the $1 million mark is just, it's too big for the little guys and it's too uh, small for the big guys. And you it just, it's a, those deals just are hard to get funding for, right? 
Um, it, oh, property management, depending on the size of your building, you could scale this with on-site property management, right? Whereas you're never going to have on-site property management in a single family home. It would not no. make sense <laughs> unless no. you're counting the tenant for doing their own utilities or pay, cutting their grass or whatever. Um, yeah, that's no, crazy. Yeah. Well, you just talking about that, cutting grass. Um, even one of that's one of those things, even when I went from buying, I used to have a whole bunch of single families and I went into a four, some fourplexes and you're just like, it's just all of a sudden there's new expenses, right? There's new things you're covering, which is like the grass, the snow, a lot of things that you could put on tenants, you're not putting on tenants. You might have common areas that you're paying the electricity for just for the entrance way. Like, or for me, I had a shared basement. I'm paying the electricity in the shared basement on these buildings. Whereas if that was a single family home, I wouldn't be paying any of that stuff. Um, yeah. But it, it, you know, it's a give and take. There's it, with each each strategy. There's 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 lots of wins and lots of losses both ways. So you mm. have to, uh, what what about you, Darcy? What do you see any other ones here? Yeah, a couple ones. A simple one where we described it um, to other things uh, to my partners. Um, often you have one roof, one location to drive through. So Glenn talked about scaling your time. If you have multiple single family homes all over the city or in different cities, you're driving to a lot of places where you could drive to one place, one roof to maintain, one boiler, one hot water tank. Um, it's just that that part of it is more coherent and e easier managed for your portfolio. So given what we talked about last week, the complexity of a multi-residential portfolio, there are some parts where it scales and it makes your job a lot easier. And there's a good chance that you can get paid for your management. There's room for you to get paid in there. Um, another thing, the simplest thing, is just risk. What I recognized early on, I had four single-family homes in Langley, and um, I never had a month that I missed with vacancy because I I hustled. It, so I would work on people moving out early, coming in a little bit late, so I could get the carpets cleaned, the walls touched up and painted and cleaned, and everything. Out, you know, I hustled like crazy. So that meant some mornings. Uh, more than one occasion. I was there at three in the morning. Uh, I started painting. I had to have the whole suite painted by 9 a.m. And the, let my carpet guy in. My carpet guys, I think I shared this story before. He used to do bars. So he'd do bars all night. So he'd be still on his work day at nine in the morning. He would do one at my apartment as well. Carpet clean it through the windows open, turn the heat up and show the new people in at four o'clock when the carpets were dry. Didn't miss a single day of vacancy. Because vacancy is crushing when you have a single unit. Your vacancy rate is either zero when it's full or 100% when it's empty. And when it's 100% empty, you're making no money. That means 12% of your year is just hollowed out. One month or uh, 8%, sorry, 8% of your whole year, one twelfth is completely destroyed. If your profit is in the 50 to 100 or $200 a month range, you've probably crushed your profitability for most of the year by having a single month vacant. That's an unreasonably high expectation of performance for management. That is really hard. Um, there's a high cost to that, to be able to do that. However, if you had a 20-unit apartment building, one vacancy for one month is 5% of that month, right? That's that barely dense. It's not great. You don't want it, but it doesn't crush your uh, operational viability. So you can have, you can roll apart units and be in the process of renovating, upgrading, turning over and allow for market vacancies to be a factor in your calculations, which is reasonable if you have a multi-res. If you have a single family home and they say that local vacancy rates are around six to 7%, you can't afford that 
on a, on a single family home that you purchased. You got to do better, way better than the market. And that's a lot to expect. Now, if you have a really great product and you really hustle and you're very sharp and you're reasonable and you can work with tenants and you can get them in and get them out and get them cleaned and you own a pickup and a trailer and you have access to a steam cleaner, you can do this, but don't kid yourself. It's a lot of extra work to maintain that vacancy and that'll crush your profitability. Now, if your gain is only, it's an equity play and I don't care losing one month here or there. I care about losing money. That bothers me, but okay, I'll go with that then maybe, maybe that works for you, but I can't let that sit that way. So for me, that's one of the biggest ones. I, uh, Multi-res offered some uh, vacancy stability that wasn't available in single family units. Now, if you were buying your single family unit with this partner, partner A, and then your partner B in the second one, and partner C in the other one, you might think you have a portfolio, but not to A, and not to investment partner B, and investment partner C, they're either getting the full weight of zero vacancies or 100% vacancies. And that's tricky. You got one good tenant, two yeah. vacancies. Who gets it? You know, do you let them decide? But you might have higher needs or different priorities. It puts you kind of in a pinch there. I never liked that. Um, I did, that's the first thing I would I would offer. So those are the efficiencies. There's the vac vac uh, vacancy risk modification or um, adjustment. I would say with multi-res, Glenn touched on it, five units or more, you get preferential financing. Um, when you have a higher value asset with more stability and a proven you know, rent roll with multiple people paying, you have better financing. You can get a better interest rate. You qualify for better kind of financing or commercial financing. Um, the risk, they understand the risk of zero and 100%. So you're not gonna get the same time. You may get better leverage. You may be able to get into that property for, 13, 15% down. Um, yeah, those, are, those are things that are not available in a single family home. Are you um, going to talk about uh, securities at all? Securities law? Yeah, um, yeah. There may be some advantages and some disadvantages for that. There is. It depends on your structure. If you're selling a percentage of a real fixed asset, then you're outside of the securities requirements. But if you're selling fractional shares in a holding or in a syndicate, then you're, you're under security statutes and that requires fairly substantial and rigorous um, disclosure statement, legal preparations and documentation. It's overwhelming. Um, we did not want to be involved in that. That's, yeah. that's at the level where Timber Creek and some of those others are working. It's not our, yeah. not our area. It does give them the ability to advertise though, right? Depending on the way they set it up because uh, yeah. they're selling a security so they're registered and they could do this but like you just said you're gonna have so many more regulations so yeah. many more costs to set it up so there, there is a, a both sides of the coin on that too and remember those costs come out of your return so if those sharp eyed you know real estate investors right now are noticing that on hockey night in canada on sports nest that avenue living is now buying television ads not just Facebook ads or Meta and Instagram ads, they're buying straight up TV ads. That's incredibly expensive during the hockey playoffs. Mm -hmm. No, that's coming out of their investors' returns. That's, that comes out, that's an expense before they write the returns. So that's the kind of cost of being in that stratosphere and playing in that league. It's not, it's not for me, but if you want complexity, you know, you can go there. You can make it as, much, as difficult as, as you want. Um, I think that's yeah. um, the final thing I would add to, I would add the, with the bigger asset, and this was brought home to me by my wife. 
um, Karen had mentioned several times. We were looking at buying, changing homes and we had a paid, uh, beautiful townhouse that we paid and I loved it. I love my neighbors and I never wanted to move ever. Um, but my wife said, where do you think real estate's going in Vancouver? And this is in 2010, just after the liquidity crisis where things are kind of trough. And I said, oh, of course, because the big macroeconomics say it's going up. And of course it did. She yeah. says, well, would we be smarter to invest our, to keep our present townhouse that's paid for and allow it to rise in the market? And I think it was worth $400,000, which seems insane for some listeners, but that's the market in, in Surrey, Cloverdale. Okay. So if it rose at 4% per year um, or better, we could see a rise of 20,000 a year compounded over the next five to eight years, which we predicted. Yep. Or should we buy, finally think about buying a larger family home, moving out of this small townhouse where I'll have sit around one table and we put other tables up and this tiny kitchen. And as much as we love it, maybe this is time for us to consider buying a bigger house because it will grow commensurately 4% on an $800,000 house is a bigger number than 4% on a $400,000 home if we could swing it. Yeah, I was going to say, if you can afford it, and it makes, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah, if we could finance it, we could take the 400000 of the paid house, put it onto an $800,000 home. We still have a $400,000 mortgage, but we'd be growing at at uh, 4% would be significant. What's 10%? 80000 So 35000 a year as opposed to 4000 a year. Yeah. Should have talked about that on last week's podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the scale, the larger the asset, the bigger the leverage. So if a large asset goes up 5%, a small asset goes up 5%. They both only went up 5%. But tell me you don't want the bigger assets 5% because it's significantly more. And that's a good reason to think about scaling. If you're doing all the work anyhow, take another step and do it on something bigger that's going to pay you a bigger payday. It might be a little more complex. It might keep you up at night. It might force you to learn to be uncomfortable or take that massive step that the universe rewards. But the bigger project is as a bigger payday and uh, it's worth considering on that basis alone. And that's why we did make the move to multi-res. Yeah. My, my final thing I want to touch on is just doing yeah. this in the U S um, mm -hmm. because there is some intricacies. Um, you know, a lot of times like there is lending for Canadians always. And, but the tend to be more expensive if you're a Canadian versus an American. And when you're talking about a massive loan uh, to buy a 200 unit building, I keep using as the example, you're uh the, the difference can be dramatically over that amount can really compound or how much you're paying an extra 1% or something. It could be phenomenal, the amount it's changed in your payments, right? For something that large. Um, yeah. And so if you are planning to go down that avenue, um, what a lot of people do is they do, you have to give away <laughs> part of the deal, but you're probably going to bring in a KP or a key principal and they are going to be the ones to qualify for it. So you're going to find someone who has the net worth of the loan that you're trying to get and has the credit score and the track record that you can get them to qualify for the loan. And, and, it, and that's the most common way to do this. As you get into bigger stuff, it's, it's at some, it does make sense. Uh, and you're in smaller stuff, the, the smaller uh, difference in interest rates, uh, it, it probably doesn't, it won't make sense to bring that in. But if you get lucky enough to have someone with a social security number to qualify for stuff, then you can do that. But as you're going into this large stuff, you are probably going to bring, you are going to be bringing in a key principal in most cases to swing this, unless it's, uh, 
you know, maybe you're bringing them in, if, um, you know, do a bridge loan possibly at the start where you can use, you can qualify yourself. And then you might be bringing them in for the refinance and you're giving away a good chunk of this deal for that, right? For them to yep. risk on this. Yeah. Consider like we bought a 69 unit building, had a $2 million mortgage on it. Our interest payment was around $8,000 a month and we only had 30 tenants and only 20 were paying. So our burn rate, yeah, that's, that's scary. <laughs> I thought of it often like the Titanic and there's about eight months where we were building and fixing and renovating and spending our capital and CapEx uh, stuff. We're we weren't making our mortgage and you could see $8,300 burn every month that you're not covering. That sickens me. That's hard. So on a big project, you can't be under findings. And that is the downside risk that you're riding the Titanic to the bottom of Mariana's trench. That's not a good feeling. It's awful. So you don't want to put yourself there. So the universe will reward massive risk like that by hammering you into the ground. Well, yeah, you're like exactly what you're saying. If if you're off by a thousand dollars in what your renovation cost is per unit, and you have a lot of units, you could be yeah. way off, right? And yeah, from the from the the investor's perspective, you know, make sure you invest with. Uh, investors that have a proven track record of investing if you're doing multifamily invest with people that have done multifamily have gone through different cycles and have gone through problems and difficult times where they've proven that they they, they still answer your emails you know when when uh, things get get uh, get difficult and um, and they have the experience and the, to to reposition the asset you know when when things get get complex and difficult yeah make sure they are if you're on the investors end yeah yeah absolutely yeah cool. uh, and well, that's why you have like a sorry you know, the last thing is that's why you have you either you're you're if you're doing this new bring in someone who's experienced to do this so someone knows how to solve these problems yep. right? if you're you give away a piece of it anyway go ahead ari yeah there are more partnerships also with multifamily it's more it's more common okay well thank you everybody for tuning in uh this was uh aurelia uh of course in the show notes uh, Glenn, glennsutherland.com with a course about uh, how to flip houses in the US and Darcy, darcywat.ca uh, who publishes his thoughts through his uh, blog on his website thank you for tuning in and see you next time Great. bye everybody see everyone